future. So welcome to another APS uh, podcast. It uh, continues to be a wonderful set of things that we're exploring. And today we're very lucky to be joined by Ben Turner. Um, ben has been an absolute stalwart on developing the ability for people to have an opportunity to become qualified and be on par with other professions as sales. And, and I'm lucky enough to call him uh, a friend and a colleague. He's been absolutely wonderful to be on this journey with, and I've learned a lot. Um, what I've also learned is he knows more about cricket uh, than probably a lot of other people on the planet. And uh, So, Ben, welcome and thanks for coming along and, and joining us. Absolute um, pleasure. So, Ben, we, we had a really interesting conversation around, <laughs> as we do on many sports, and I know I bore the pants off you on rugby, um, but we had a talk about, you know, cricket and cricket selection and, and how there were some parallels there with regard to um, fundamentally, you know, whether people have met criteria to be judged as a good salesperson or a bad salesperson or a competent salesperson or not. Can you run me through your thoughts about, you know, obviously what's been in the press and, you know, how the current England setup and previous England setups have coped with explaining what what good looks like to get into the team and how you how you've developed those thoughts around not just cricket but also sales yeah absolutely and and, and what a pleasure to talk about cricket in these eyes as well and uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm more than happy to and uh, as a cricket fan and someone who who's followed England around around the world for god knows how many years um there, there's certain individuals that came into into the England setup over the last probably four or five years, uh, people that I was fans of before they uh, they were in the England setup, and and the two, the very obvious one, and one most people will know if they if they have watched cricket or understood it even you know around our World Cup win was Owen Morgan, and and what a sensational leader he is and the kind of culture he sets. But in terms of the point that you you've asked me about was it was a guy called Ed Smith. And, and we share a bit of history, me and Ed. We were born in the same year. He went to school, uh, a slightly better school than mine, uh, up the road. And he was a Kent cricketer. But, but, but Ed's an, also an author and an analyst and, 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 and writes for the New Statesman and people along those lines. And he was actually a pundit that got given the job of national selector for the England cricket setup, which was a bit of a strange move in all circumstances you know why would I want a journalist to go and do that job but but he's a he's a very smart guy and, and he had some really interesting thoughts the bit that that I pinned to and it, and it absolutely is in 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 the sense of the work that we do for the APS and setting criteria was this idea of selection criteria and and it was almost strange to hear a selector talking about that we, we get the, the or I always got the feeling that selection was about gut feeling and you know experience that you know that this guy was better than that guy and I just like the way he looks and I like the way he bowls and his figures are this and, and certainly a, a a sport like cricket there's a load of numbers that can be marched down to you to help you with that process um but of course what that does is it opens up to challenge and and if it's just based on opinion then it can be challenged now all selection can of course be challenged let's not pretend that that's going to go away but what you can't challenge is the criteria that you've met. So if you look at the work that we do within sales is we set a bunch of criteria and that's agreed upon by all those around us, 
um, our, um, our members, our academic partners, our institutions, um, you know, our partners, all these different people that, that help with that criteria. So once everyone's agreed with the criteria, it's about how you apply that. So what the, the selectors were able to do under Ed Smith and James Taylor and people like that was whenever anyone said, well, why do you think that player X is better than player Y? He was always able to go, well, here's our criteria. This is the criteria we use. Now, you can challenge often you like how we've applied that criteria, but you can't challenge the criteria. Uh, and that was one of the things that we, we were very conscious of in the world of sales and one that I took you know, great comfort from in the world of cricket because you were applying the right criteria. It wasn't just down to gut instinct. Everyone in that team were going against that same criteria. So it justified and helped, I think, to make better decisions. Whether it did or not, well, what's the proof? A World Cup win. That's pretty good proof. Um, you know, an Ashes team that's, um, that, that, that drew, albeit on, on, on English turf, but is progressing superbly. But perhaps what's most impressive was, um, was the culture that I saw coming through. The culture of, uh, especially under, say, Owen Morgan's leadership, of how that team behaves. And I can't help but feel that that is helped by having that robust criteria. And I've just proved that if you get me on cricket, I will talk for ages. So I'm going to pause there, Andy, for you to come in, because I'm sure there's some questions around that as well. Uh, there's many, many questions. Um, what I'd like to explore is you, you seem to be saying that because there's no ambiguity about the criteria, that everybody knows where they stand. The selectors, the players, the coaches, and, and it removes a lot of the um, subjectivity about um, you know is that person right or not, and it, and it therefore then flows through the culture. So just explore that a little bit more. You know, do you think obviously that was missing before, and then that's coming. You've got a bit more obvious criteria, and do you think that that's cleaned a lot of the noise out of the way? I think that you'll never be in a scenario where. Uh, in sport or, or even in sales leadership or leadership generally, there'll be a, 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 an example where there's no conjecture. Of course, there are. everyone's got an opinion and that's what we love about sport generally, that, that there's an opinion. But what I, help, I think it helped to do was justify certain decisions. Uh, there is, and I don't know the details of it, there's a guy called Alex Hales who just hasn't been allowed back inside. Um, he, he made two mistakes uh, that we won't go into um, and and th there is a definite move, no matter how many pundits say Alex Hale should be back in that team, there is a definite move from the selection and the captain that says he doesn't. Why are they making that? Why are they so clear about it? Because they were clear from the very, very beginning that there is a behavioural element that they expect from those players, and if you cross that line, then you do not get back in the team. Now, as harsh as that is, and and without the personal, what one can't argue with is that selection criteria is clear. There is a thing that needs to happen. And I think that's what people buy into from a leadership point of view in terms of enforcing and it being a, a message every day. But it, does it take the conjecture out? No, of course not. It's never going to, and I don't think anyone wants to. But it helps explain the decision. And I think we see that in our world as well, is that as long as people understand where it's coming from, it makes it easier so I think the point that we talked about previously was how does a player then 
get into a side because actually the and I think one of my other passions is football and Jurgen Klopp has said the interesting conversation with a player is not why did you drop me but what do I have to do to be undropped how do I get back in the team and if you have that criteria where everyone goes well these are the behavioral things this is what we need you to be implementing I talk a lot about their learning and adaptability mentality but that helps the player to understand these are things that I need to adhere to and by the way, the leadership is about making sure they're lived. And, and unfortunately for Alex Hales, they do make sure they're lived. And there's a real stance on that, which is why arguably one of the best players in the world can't get any England's cricket set up at the moment, because he broke certain expectations. So I think the conjecture is one thing, but it's, it's that ability to be very clear with individuals about what it takes to get back in. Go back to all the work that you know, we're, we're very proud of uh, as a management leadership team is that we, like, I think we've achieved in setting out a very clear standard for sales excellence that then people can then um, evaluate, assess themselves against and qualify against. But that, that standard, that, that, that criteria becomes very, very important in helping everyone see what the journey looks like. I think that's fascinating. And, and um, what I really like about it is because you've got this reference, you just, you know, just unpacking that, you've got an ability to say to the manager is, you know, how, how, do I, how do I move on? How do I get that next promotion in the sales or business context? And it's like, because you're going to have to meet these criteria. It isn't just about whether you can, you know, hit 100 on any given day. It's about effectively whether or not you live these things and you can demonstrate the capability. Because we all know there's good and bad in sport, and on any day you might have a bit of bad luck. There's that great sporting analogy, isn't it? That you know, class is permanent, form is temporary, mm-hmm. um, and what you seem to be saying is criteria can demonstrate your certain class and opens up a whole bunch of different conversations, which are are never going to be um, misinterpreted. And uh, I suppose if we carry on that wonderful sporting analogy that we're playing with here, is that is that, that fantastic sort of like. Um, Nigel Clough and Graham Taylor kind of incident on the sidelines, if you remember it, when you know Graham Taylor put him on into the England game and gave him so many different con- contradictory um, kind of sets of explanations and criteria of what he wanted him to do that he actually turned around on TV and he went, "I don't understand you," which I think is what you've said is if you can get that clarity in that framework, the conversations become really, really easy to do. Uh, and people can just get on with marrying up to those things. I, I think I agree completely. And, and in that sense, if, if a player or, or, or an individual from a performance point of view has that criteria, and I don't know whether they share that criteria, I, I don't know. Um, and, and I think some is very public and documented, and others maybe behind the scenes a bit anyway. But at least you can look alongside it. You know, to, 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 to our world in, in sales where someone is looking to say, well, actually, I really want to progress to X. Well, okay, how are you performing against these things? And it's not just about metrics or in terms of revenue numbers. It's about, you know, attitude towards things. It's about, um, you know, what you give back to the team. There's always more than just a number. And, and, and that's the cultural element of it. I, I, I've never seen, and, and, and I've seen interviews, because clearly I listen and watch podcasts and cricket all, all day long if I could, um, the, the, the sort of conversations and the messages that come out of the team. And they are so aligned. They're unbelievably aligned. They're very tight. Why is that? Because actually part of that criteria of selection, it does seem strange talking about 
team spirit based on criteria, but, but there we are. But part of that criteria is around how you, you buy into those values, perhaps. And, and, and being a rugby fan, as I know you are, uh, and I can't remember the exact phrase, and I've got a, got a feeling it's got an expletive in it, is the New Zealand All Blacks. I think they have a similar um, ethos that they ask people to buy into. And that could be the fundamental of selection criteria. We don't let X amount, X type of person into this team. We don't want them here. But at least when you're sitting alongside a player, you can actually sit down or a performer and say, this is the criteria. This is what we look for for people. How are you performing against that? And the criteria doesn't change for each person. And it's then down to the view of the selection committee to be able to look at it and translate it into the player. So at least I just think it makes it easier for those players. I now know what I need to do to get back in that team. So that lifts because everyone's trying to drive towards that single goal or those, those criteria that they're trying to get done, which lifts that performance. And, and the results, of course, spoke for themselves and very pleased I was too. And so just moving on, finally, you talked about culture, which is really, really interesting because this gives a very open platform for people to be uh, very clear on what they need to do. How, how do you think that this kind of framework uh, allows you to have a culture of performance and, and a culture of openness and honesty and how does that, how does that transfer into sales? Um, it's an interesting question and it's one I've, I've pondered a lot actually because I've, sometimes these things seem very easy and you think I've oversimplified it sometimes they seem really complicated and you thought we've overcomplicated. Remember another cricketer and pundit who, who does, he's a bit clickbait, he's a guy called Michael Vaughan and they were talking about the, the for those who, who, who may know their cricket that the Australian cricket team had a, a real scandal in terms of some cheating that went on. And it was a, a real scandal. And even as someone as an English cricket fan, no one did like to see that. And what they did is they, they realised they had to change their culture. So they had a new catchphrase. And I can't even remember the catchphrase. But I remember Michael Vaughan talking about it, going, well, they are, are words on a wall. And I thought, well, actually, they're more than just words on a wall. A culture is more than words on a wall. Words on the wall is the culture in very many different scenarios because they were the beliefs of that system. They were the beliefs of that team that everyone had to buy into, the way they behave. Again, in terms of a criteria-based thing, if you have a culture, a mission, a value, as we talk about in business, they become really, really important things. So I remember thinking that it was this derisory kind of, well, just because you write that on the wall doesn't mean it's going to change anything. Well, no, because you write it on the wall because it's changed something. You write it because it's a fundamental of a belief system that allows the culture to be led by that. What the All Blacks, I believe, do. What I think the English cricket team did very well. And what actually the Australians now are really buying into and have really changed very, very quickly to really achieve, as much as that hurts me say. So I think that culture is, is very important. And to your point, translating into that sales area is how do we behave as salespeople? Are we a professional sales organisation? Are we an ethical sales organisation? Are we a learning sales organisation? So these words on a wall are, are, are often so much more than that and really set a benchmark of, of the behaviours and expectations within any team, whether it's sport or a, um, or, or, or a sales team. I think that's great that you mentioned as well the fact that it actually becomes... Yeah, more than words on a wall that people live them and that so it's the responsibility of a sales leader to to make sure that they are lived by people um, but what I really like is it's the ambiguity goes away so yeah, just because someone smashes the number 
which we all know there are lucky salespeople. We all know there are also people who, you know, work in certain cyclical accounts where they get big deals certain times and various other things. Um, so, you know, I, what I really like is it's not just about the number in this instance. It's not just about, you know, how many wickets you took. It's about all the things you do to get on that pitch, to be able to be in that situation, to then demonstrate that you, you know, can shine. And that's really, really fascinating. And I think quite interestingly from the press this week, you know, we're talking now and we're seeing some of the England rugby players come out and talk about, you know, 2015 in the World Cup and the very nature that there wasn't a criteria for it being in that squad. And there was a certain level of nepotism in the Ford family mm. and there was politics that went on. And that's a perfect example of, again, negative culture, not clarity about um, criteria and competence. Uh, and look what happened. The whole thing just fell apart when arguably you know, playing at home, they should have been, you know, a shoe-in for being in the final. Uh, and it didn't happen. And these are such tight margins, aren't they? And, 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 and yes, in sport, of course it's tight margins. The World Cup final or international sport, they're, they're, they're the finest of margins. But, but they're fine margins in winning deals and winning sales, whereby, you know, if we can get that consistency and, and messaging around a, a, a group of individuals on a, I know, a pitch team, um, how interesting that would be that, that no matter who you ask, that the answer would be consistent because of the values and the behaviours of that sales team, which makes the message more compelling, which makes the message more heard, perhaps. So, again, these words on the wall, and I, and I do get that, you know, they are just words on the wall if no one really cares about them. But if they are part of your culture, they are absolutely could be, sorry, they should and can be the differentiator. Um, and it's interesting what you said about the numbers and just m m uh, another analogy around. There's a guy called Dawid Milan who, who recently, I believe he, uh, he did hit a century for England in a T20 game. He hasn't played since. Why? Because he looked like he was trying to preserve his average, which means that he was trying to not get out in the last over. And he was actually batting with his old friend and colleague, who's Owen Morgan, who's a captain. And Morgan was absolutely furious. I don't care how many runs you got. You try and get more, more, more runs. It's not about you. It's about the team. And, of course, I'd probably paraphrase, and there's, I'm sure there's different conversations that come in, but it was a very clear expectation from the captain. He's broke that, and despite hitting a, a century, he was dropped the next game because the culture's more powerful than that number. And, 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 and what a great example of leadership, as, as difficult that must be for certain players, but we go back to that criteria. Our criteria says this is how you behave. You broke the criteria. You don't behave like that in that team. And harsh, but, but very compelling for every other member of that team who does stick to the criteria. And I think what you're actually stating is a very, very powerful case for sustainability. So I agree. the performances of that England team under Owen uh, Morgan and, uh, and various uh, other people in there have become good. They've become a side. Yes, you're always going to have a blip but they've become more consistently stable. And I think that translates really well into the things that you've been building in terms of criteria and competence. So that actually now salespeople and sales leaders, more importantly, can build that sustainability by helping being very clear about what is good and what is bad and what the expectations they have are of their salespeople and therefore what customers can, can expect as a consequence. And to your point, you know, what, what, what's the alternative? Um, a salesperson's hired on their uh, their performance in their last company 
which could or could not be true based on the amount of CVs that we talk to some of our colleagues around and, and how they look. Uh, it could be based on their um, their address book, and the expectation changes from manager to sales leader to colleagues or whoever that is. It's just a completely blurred, inconsistent message with no real idea of what's coming into it. You don't stand much of a chance. If we've done a great thing with the APS and, and with the support of our members and our teams, it's about being to set a framework that people can align to. That isn't just about, um, you know, my gut feeling and what, what I'm passionate about personally, but actually something that could be the, the blueprint for expectation with the sales organization that all can buy in, which is so visible. Go back to that words on the wall. So, so I think that that framework has been massively important. Yes, of course, our customers contextualize it and bring it into their their area, but this externally recognized framework as well, I think it has been useful and, and, it, and it's been great to see people adopt it because I think the main reason we, and you'll know as well as anyone, I'd be interested in your thoughts, why people have gravitated was it because it's actually summed up what they've kind of wanted. They just didn't realize it existed. You see people light up and go, actually, I'm really trying to get to that. And you're going to help me to get to that a lot quickly. And that's that idea of saying, this is the way we do things around here and being able to filter that through all their teams. So there's absolute clarity among those guys. And, and again, in the same way as selection, it helps to take away some of that conjecture and helps to give great conversations to staff about where you want them to go. That, that's absolutely brilliant. And, and before we close out, and again, thank you for your, your insights into this, which I find absolutely absorbing. Um, you know, COVID cricket, um, we're going to be playing, was it three matches in two weeks with the West Indies? Yeah. Predictions? Well, it depends what sides turn up, Andy. And, and, and of course, I'll more than happy to expand on that on another, on another uh, webcast or something along those side podcasts. No, for me, um, it's just great to have the cricket back. It's great to have that, um, have some money coming into that, 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 that sport, to have people being able to watch the cricket again. Um, I love it because it's one of those things that are relaxing. I love my test matches so I can walk away and grab a beer and sit down and absorb it, that game of chess and things along those lines. And of course, I was hoping to win. I've never been anywhere different, but it's part of the battle. Five days of great test match cricket intensity. Um, I'm just glad to have it back on, Andy. That's my down the line answer. But of course, the above the line answer is we're whopping 3 0. Excellent. A good example of both defensive <laughs> and aggressive shot there. <laughs> Indeed. Ben, thank you so much for your company today. Um, and, uh, you know, I look forward to many more of these conversations as uh, we continue to go on our journey together. But thank you for this podcast. And uh, uh, I look forward uh, to uh, sharing this with as many people as possible. Indeed. Thanks for listening, everyone.